Hi, this is Claire from Come Back Brighter. You're listening to my podcast about healing after narcissistic abuse. Welcome. Hi, this is Claire from Come Back Brighter. And today I'm going to do a video. I'm going to talk to you about the narcissist's will. Okay. And it's quite, I'm going to share with you an experience. I'm going to share with you a situation I had with my brother-in-law. He died about a year ago. So this is the story. Now, I'll give you a bit of background just so that you can understand the dynamics here, okay? So my brother-in-law was the golden child, the eldest son, golden child, son and heir. My husband is the second child and the scapegoat and I do believe a little bit of lost child in there as well, okay? Now, the way that my brother-in-law was raised was he was given everything he demanded. And he was always given more than, okay? So I've already spoken a bit about my, mother, uh, my brother-in-law. He was always given more than. That was by my mother-in-law, who was the one who was kind of in charge, and my father-in-law just did as he was told, okay? So he was always given more than his brother, always, every, in every single way, that from the tiny decisions right the way up to, you know, big, generous cash gifts and all the rest of it, okay? He was always given more. Now, the way that he was, he was raised... He was raised to be entitled. He was raised to only consider himself. And effectively what happened is that the golden child, I believe, golden child son became the narcissistic son as an adult. Okay. And I want you to understand the dynamic between the brothers. Now, the golden child brother would do nothing for his brother unless it suited him. So I've given this example before um, when my husband had his first child, um, he refused to get fish and chips. And whilst that might sound like a silly thing, it was just indicative of generally how it was all about him. And he never did anything, especially for his brother, unless it suited him, unless he really wanted to do it and all the rest of it. However, his brother, in the time that we've been together, my uh, brother-in-law had very serious health issues. And about seven years ago or so, um, he really went through some really serious issues where he had to have uh, parts of his leg amputated. So it was a particularly grueling time, very, very difficult time for him, as you would understand because it was a progressive thing. So it was like part of his foot was, was amputated. And then, and then he went in for an operation and he went in for this big operation. And he was told before he went into the operation that he was either gonna lose his foot or half his leg up to uh, just below the knee. If I, if I remember rightly. I can't remember, it might have been above the knee, but anyway, whatever. He went into the operation, he didn't know what was going to happen. And my husband decided that it would be an awful thing for him to come around and be told 
what had happened, whatever happened was going to be terrible for him. And that was a time when he, he wanted to be there for his brother. OK. Um, and so he made the decision to go to the hospital to effectively like hold his brother's hand as he came round from the operation and to support him in the shock of of whatever was going to happen after the operation. Now, my parents-in-law were actually on holiday at the time. They were told what was happening and they decided to continue their holiday. So it was it was left to my husband, but he's such a good man, he decided that he would go and be there for his brother. And then there was a long rehabilitation process and my brother-in-law had his own business and we spent several weekends, even though we both worked full time, helping out in, in his business so that the business can continue to tick over to provide an income for him. And, and I remember one occasion when my in-laws went away for the weekend and we actually looked after my brother-in-law at my in-laws house. So we cooked for him, we helped him in every single way that he needed whilst they were away for the weekend. So I'm saying all this just to set the scene, to set the picture of the true dynamic between the two brothers, okay? And then the elder brother died and, and it, it, it wasn't a shock because like I say, he had serious health issues um, and he'd been steadily going downhill since he'd had his leg amputated. Um, and he just really wasn't looking after himself and, and he wasn't in a good place in his head either. So when he died, he had quite a considerable um, possessions to give away, not, not cash, but possessions, properties, collections that he had. And what he did was he divided his possessions in such a way. And what he wanted to do was, he, his last request was that everybody would get together, all the people involved with the will would get together and the will would be read in the office of the solicitor. So everybody that was getting a gift from him was present for this meeting. And the reason why he did this is because what he did was he took his, his stuff and he, he gave a, a generous gift to one of his friend's children. And he divided everything else up into 16 equal portions. And of those 16 people, my husband and his three children were not a part of those 16 people. So I know that there's going to be people that's going to jump on this video and say, oh, you sound very bitter and oh, you know, you sound like you're entitled to have something from your brother-in-law or your husband or your child was or your uh, or the other children, my other my husband's other children were entitled. That's not the case. That's not the case. Now, the reason why he wanted the will read out in public is because he wanted 
my husband's disappointment, his embarrassment, his humiliation, his sadness, and perhaps his anger to be on show, to be in public, as he saw that everybody else there got a part of my brother-in-law's estate. Now, my husband did get something from it, but the only reason why he got that was because by law, he could not give it to anybody else. So he had no choice. However, apparently, there was a caveat to him giving this to my husband, and that was that his friends should finish with it before my husband's allowed to take possession. He couldn't do that with the, with the law. But he wanted to make it very, very, very clear that his friends mattered more to him than his brother and his nephews and his niece. So why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Because I've realized that my husband wasn't, wasn't necessarily expecting anything. And it was his brother's stuff to give away as he wanted. There were a few bits and pieces that were like in the family that would have been nice, not, uh, not of any value necessarily, but would have been nice if they'd stayed in the family. That was ignored. That was ignored by my brother-in-law and also ignored by the executors of the will. So I'm telling you this because there's a difference. You, there's a huge difference between if he was giving his stuff away to these 16 people in, in love and support for them, okay? There's a completely different energy if he'd done it out of love for his friends. But I think that his true intention was to give it away to anybody but my husband and his children. So the intention was not so much to show love for his friends, but was actually to show disregard, dislike, hatred, bitterness even to my husband and his three children. That is why I think he did it. Because if he could have done it, that my husband didn't get anything, that's exactly what he would have done. It's exactly what he would have done. Now, as it transpired, because we're living in France, because of the whole situation in COVID, when my brother-in-law died, my husband contacted the solicitor and said, what's the situation? because he needed to know if he needed to make arrangements to come back, to sort stuff out, whatever it was gonna be, okay. So the solicitor told him then what the state of play was. So there was no reading of the will in public. So his evil plan to publicly humiliate my husband failed. It failed. And not only that, the, the thing that he had to give my husband 
is going to be worth a lot more than one sixteenth than everybody else is getting. So there you go. There's karma. His evil plan didn't work. But I'm telling you this so that you understand what will probably happen to you when your narcissistic parent or narcissistic sibling or partner, whoever it is, when they die. Because the other thing was, I know that my brother-in-law used his possessions as bait. I know that he used it to keep people in contact with him. I know that he did that because what happened was we had one of his friends contact the funeral director who then contacted my husband to say he wanted to know if he was going to get anything out of the will because he'd been led to believe that that was the case. And as it happened, this person was not mentioned in the will at all. Not at all. So what my husband's had to do since his brother's died, since he's realised this setup, is the depth of the, the hatred, really, his brother had for him. Because it was one thing to experience it with him when he was a child and when he was an adult, that his brother used him, that his brother was only interested in the ways in which he could serve him. His brother didn't want to support and help him. His brother didn't care about him. It was, it was different than to actually leave the parting shot to be so filled with hatred. And this hatred was nurtured and encouraged by my mother-in-law. She hated her sibling. So what she did was she raised her eldest son, how she thought she should have been raised. And all she did was gave everything to him and raise him to be entitled, selfish, self-centered and all about him. That's, that's what she did. So she encouraged this. My father-in-law, different story. My brother-in-law was a much-wanted child. He was a boy, and my father-in-law worshipped him. He didn't see the reality of him, but he just saw how much he loved him. So he just went along with my mother-in-law, and he did his own different things to spoil him, which also created the monster that he became. So I'm telling you this because I really want you to understand. I really want you to understand how much the, your, the narcissist's will will be used to hurt you. I want you to understand how they will do everything they can to leave you with the last parting shot, which is to show you exactly how they feel about you to show you exactly how they feel about you and it's one thing to think it whilst they're alive and it's another thing to to have it delivered in black and white in legal terms when it, when the time actually comes now the other thing to mention around all this as well is that we think that the solicitor involved in dealing with all of this was stirring we're not entirely sure that Mark did ask for the will to be read out in public. We're not entirely sure about that. We're not entirely sure 
that he stipulated as well that his friends had to make use of this thing before he gave it to, to my husband. We're not sure. But we've had experiences with the solicitor in the past to know that he relishes stirring things. And it's only been because we've gone, no, we don't want to fight. We don't want to, this is not an issue. We just want to carry on. We don't want to make this into a thing. So you also have the issue where you've got narcissistic, toxic, negative people dealing with the, the last estate, with the estate of your family member and they will do all they can to ramp they know the sit up, sit up they know exactly what's going on they will know from the will who's been shunned who's been rejected who's been ignored just for the narcissist agenda and they will do all they can to stir so that that person feels angry feels bitter and then they have a fight and then they got the court case and then they've got the money from that fight so I really want you to understand this. So this is why this is why I talk about the narcissist death dying, uh, uh, dying death and their and their will, because it's really, really important to prepare yourself for it. The day is going to come, especially if you're talking about narcissistic parents, the day will come when they will pass on and the day will come when you have to deal with this. And you have to decide whether you want to go to the funeral. You have to decide what you have to be prepared for what's going to come out in the will. So that's why that's why I say it's so much better to prepare yourself for nothing. Prepare yourself for nothing. Make no plans based on any future inheritance. Do not trust them they will lie to manipulate they will lie to manipulate so be prepared for nothing and hope that maybe you get something but be prepared for the worst do not make any plans for any future inheritance that's relying on them because if they know that you've made those plans they will relish thwarting those plans even more it will bring them greater satisfaction to know that the, the stress that they're piling on your head so prepare yourself for nothing prepare yourself for the worst but hope for the best but the other thing as well is to, to not get engaged with a fight that toxic legal advisors may advise you to do. Now, who makes the money if you get in a fight? Who makes profit? Who makes money out of it? the fight going on for a long time? Because once you've thrown down that gauntlet, once you've challenged a narcissist, and it could be the narcissist that's, that's passed on, or it could be another family member that's dealing with the narcissist estate. Whenever you've thrown down that corner and you've challenged them, they will do all they have to to win. They will, they will bankrupt themselves in order to win. So prepare yourself for the worst, but hope for the best when it comes to the demise. And prepare yourself for this scenario. Prepare yourself for it because they will do all they can 
to cause you the maximum amount of pain and hurt on their demise. They did it when you were alive, when they were alive. They did it every single opportunity they had when they were still alive. But it was little things. It was the, you're not allowed to do this thing. I'm not going to buy you that thing. It was the trying to destroy your happiness when you were happy. It was making stressful times even worse for you. It was little, little things all the time. But with their will, they can make a very loud and very public declaration of how little regard they had for you. And this will be the time when they go for their scapegoat. They will go for you and do all they can to hurt you. But if you're prepared for it, if you know what the games are, this could also concern their funeral. It could also be arrangements with their funeral. Certain people aren't allowed to come. I have to have this thing that this person doesn't like. You have to pay for an expensive coffin for me. All the, they, could, they could have all the arrangements around the funeral and every single thing that they do, everything that single thing that they did when they were alive was to cause the maximum amount of pain and hurt to other people. So they will do that with their funeral and they will do that with their will. It's their last opportunity to hurt you. And it will be the last thing they leave you with. So I hope that this helps you understand the dynamic. I hope that you can at least give a little bit of thought to what you will do when something happens to them. And to manage your expectations of any potential future inheritance. Because equally they could leave it to a sibling. Equally they could leave it to somebody that's not even in the family. Equally they could just leave it to a charity. And relish your disappointment. So I hope this helps. If you've got any comments or questions, pop your comments below. Or, or I've got a question, whatever it is, you can always email me at Claire, C-L-A-R-E, comebackwriter at gmail.com. Bye.